Good morning. Um, please stand for the reading of Scripture. Our reading this morning comes from Mark uh, 45 through 56. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when, he saw, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gethsemeret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is God's word. Pray with me one more time. Father, we ask that you would help us to know your word and that your word would sink deeply into our bodies and souls, that we would understand, know, believe, and share our faith with others. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are uh, endless needs in the world, endless needs. It's an endless vacuum. But Jesus is capable of meeting every single need. That I can say with great confidence. And today we're going to see Jesus meet the need of his disciples. And he's going to meet needs of many people in the marketplaces. And I want you to learn two things this morning. I want you to learn how to recognize Jesus in the storm. And I want you to learn a second thing, which is how to recognize Jesus in the marketplaces. Those are two things that I'm putting before you and I want you to know, okay? Know him in the storm, know Jesus in the marketplaces. So recognize Jesus in the storm. Uh, last week's sermon, it, it continues on into this week. Um, and, you know, after feeding the 5,000, we're told Jesus has his disciples leave and he stays there to disperse this great crowd. And remember I pointed out that this gathering of 5,000 men Remember I said it wasn't, uh, if, if 5,000 people gathered in the parking lot out there, would they be friendly or hostile? What was the answer? Hostile, right. So this, uh, this group um, was militant. John 6 tells us the people intended to make Jesus king by force, right? And so um, uh, that's what Mark here records for us, that after Jesus disperses this great group, he withdraws by himself to pray. And so he gets up to this mountaintop, and he prays, and Mark records only three times where Jesus does this. Three times. So Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Mark 6, 45, and Mark 14. And now each of these happen at night, 
and it's in a quiet place. Each of these has the disciples away from Jesus and confused about his mission, and each has Jesus in a crisis situation. So in this one, in this situation, Jesus prays to find his identity as a suffering servant, uh, not as a military commander or a kingdom conqueror. But every time that the disciples are not with Jesus, right, every single time they're not with him, trouble seems to just come their way, doesn't it? So this time the winds are howling and it blows them far from their destination. Uh, John tells, tells us, uh, sorry, uh, Mark tells us they were three miles out. And, and so they, they, they put the sails down and the, the oars out. And so they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing, right, against the wind. And, and they're kind of in trouble. And they're not in imminent danger. Some of these men knew how to uh, take care of a boat. Uh, but they were in, in, in a miserable state. Uh, to be rowing strenuously, strenuously, right, against wind in those kinds of the harsh conditions is frustrating. It's very annoying to be in that kind of predicament, in that kind of place. And now think about this. The disciples were stuck at this point in the sea because Jesus told them to go that way. In other words, they were miserable because they were following Jesus. How different is that than the message of the prosperity gospel, which says, right, if you follow Jesus, you will be blessed. They're experiencing the opposite of blessing because they follow Jesus. The disciples are having a, a, a storm. And on the mild end, we, we might experience it and we encounter stress. On a, a more severe side, we encounter severe suffering. And this, this scene here is a beautiful picture of the realities and the complexities of the Christian life. It's nighttime and Jesus is praying, and at the same time, the disciples are being blown, which way? This way and that way, by the wind, struggling in their obedience, making little progress. I mean, isn't that how the Christian life is? Often we feel like we're being blown left and right, and, and as, as hard as we're striving, as hard as we wish that we would be uh, maybe a different person, we'd be better in this way, we would be uh, more charitable, more loving. Um, we see little progress. Maybe we fall backwards or we stumble sometimes. And, and in times of, of, um, of suffering, we might believe that God doesn't care about our pain. But Mark is saying to us, verse 48, And he saw, Jesus saw, that they were making headway painfully. Jesus saw their struggle, their, their pain, right? He, 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 he understands their pain. And God doesn't turn a blind eye to our suffering. God doesn't turn a, a, a deaf ear to the cries of his people. And so like with, with them, right now, he takes notice of the pain that maybe you're experiencing and you're going through. God understands your pain. He understands what you're going through. And he does care. Verse 48 continues, And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. 
he meant to pass them by. Uh, the, the fourth watch of the night, that's a, a Roman way of telling time, counting it, and it meant it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so um, pretty early in the morning. And notice it says he meant to pass them by. Now, why would Jesus mean to pass them by? That seems kind of weird, right? But it, it shouldn't be weird to us if, if we, we have the lens of the Old Testament as we're reading this. And so when it says that he meant to pass him by, we're supposed to be thinking about something that happened a long time ago, specific. And so if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the passage, one of the passages that it's bringing up, maybe passing by might make you think of that one time when Moses is at Mount Sinai and when the Lord passed by Moses in order to reveal his name to Moses. You can read about that in Exodus chapters 30, uh, 34 and 35. God also does this at Mount Horeb uh, with the prophet Elijah by passing by again in 1 Kings chapter 19. But probably the, the, the clearest and, and most similar occurrence in the Old Testament where this happens is with a man named Job. Uh, Job had a very difficult life. A lot of hardship befell him. And uh, In in this situation, God reveals himself to Job in Job chapter 9, and he says this. It says, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. And so verse 48 of of Mark, the language is exactly the same here. It, It wants us to recall back to these times in the Old Testament when God is passing by, and and even, as Job 9 records, treading the waves of the sea is is movement that only God does, and that is exactly the kind of movement that Jesus is doing as he's treading the waves, as he's walking on water, right? So we're supposed to see this this same imagery here, and what we're taught by watching the story unfold is that God is not far off from our struggle, He is very intimate, very close with our struggle. He doesn't just pray for us from far away. He doesn't just hear us from far away. Jesus not only sees, but he enters into the human struggle itself. Um, As one of our very own, uh, Jeff King likes to put it, he's not the God of the deists, right? He's not this far-off deity um, so detached from his creation. So Jesus not only sees, but he enters into the struggle, the fray. And so, I mean, the disciples, they're beginning to lose hope. And and maybe we find parallels when we are at the end of our rope and we're out of hope. Um, That's when we realize that we need God most. And so this passing by event is uh, what... uh, we can call a theophany. It's a revelation of the glory of God, um, the glory that Jesus shares with the Father, and it's an answer to this pressing question that keeps coming up in Mark's gospel. Who is Jesus, right? Um, or as, as we'll come to find out later, I think it's in Mark chapter 8, uh, who do you say that I am? Right? Who do we say that Jesus is? It's an answer to that question. Clearly, we see him as the Son of God. Clearly, Jesus is God. 
He's the one who calms the storm, and he's the one now who appears in the midst of the storm as the great I am. Again, right, if we have our our Old Testament lenses on, and we're we're reading this or we're listening to this, we're going, wow, I'm seeing some great parallels here. So uh, let's keep reading. Verse 49 says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, verse 50, For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Um, In the Old Testament, right, only God is the one who can walk on water. He's the only one who can tread water. Um, Don't know any, any, I haven't met anybody yet who can walk on water. I don't know about you. But uh, um, Jesus walks only where God can walk. And this act itself identifies Jesus with God. And his statement, right, it is I, is identical with God's self-identification, God's self-disclosure of himself, his revelation of himself to Moses in the burning bush. And so I want to read this passage to you. It's from Exodus chapter 3, if you're taking notes. Exodus 3, 3, uh, 13 to 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. All right, so and that's, that's giving Moses God's name, his personal name. Jesus, in other words, is the great I am. When he says, it is I, he's making that same declaration that he is the great I am. That he not only does what God can do, but he takes on the very name of God in the Old Testament. And, and this passage is just screaming at us to recognize that Jesus is God and he is not only someone who's able to enter into the crevices and cracks and brokenness of our pain as a human, but that he is someone, he is the someone who's able to enter into um, and, and overcome such brokenness and such cracks and such devastation that sin has left us in and do something about it because he's God. No matter how clearly God has revealed himself, though, as as God, no matter how clearly the Bible tells us that Jesus is God, this is something that people have a hard time with, right? Um, People still have a hard time believing that Jesus is God. Let's read verse 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Uh, the they here is talking about the disciples, right? The disciples who have known who Jesus is, who've seen Jesus do all these things, who've been his disciples, sent out um, as, as apostles of Jesus and all of that. And yet these are the ones who are hardened. They thought that they saw a ghost even, it says. Their hearts were hardened. They could not recognize Jesus. How is or how has your heart been hardened to the gospel lately? Um, I'll confess something. Sometimes I completely miss the gospel. Um, sometimes, and actually a lot of times, uh, in, my, in 
my own life in my own parenting journey as a, a dad of, of three boys, man, I like default to just giving them more law and I don't give them more gospel. I don't tell them of the fact that they cannot do anything um, to, to shake God's reckless love for them, that God loves them no matter what. I, it's like those words just completely depart from me when I'm in parenting mode, right? And um, so I confess I don't do it often. I forget the gospel myself. It's easy to forget the gospel. We have to remember the gospel. We have to remind each other of the gospel. So they, the disciples, right, they had already forgotten the truth that they learned with the loaves from last week's message. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Does anyone know what the the truth of the loaves, what that was about? Anybody want to say? Oh, come on. Somebody take a stab. Anyone remember? It was like that God is their shepherd, maybe? Something along those lines? What? Yeah, that's perfect. You got it. That's it. See, so many people remember, right? We don't have hard hearts ever. Our hearts are never hardened. We never forget things. Um, Right? The, the truth of, of the loaves, that, that, that God is their provider, their shepherd, that, that he cares for us, right? That he is the one who, who is concerned for us, that, that he will um, take care of them. That's what a shepherd does for sheep, takes care of his sheep. And, and they let that truth slip away as the, the, the clouds rolled in, right? As the storms, as the winds crashed and uh, uh, blew them away. And the waves started crashing and, 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 and forcing them to, to, to rock back and forth. They forgot that he cares for them. Do you let the truth of that, right, that God cares for you, that God is your shepherd, do you let that truth slip away when hard times come? Does that truth, truth just kind of exit out the back door? Do you forget that he's who he is when the waves come and suffering hits you hard. I think we can find, we can draw immense comfort. I hope that this can be an encouragement to you. When hard times come, to think about this event in the lives of the disciples, that God still cared for them, even though they were in the middle of a great storm. Remember that God's with you and he will remain with you even in the middle of suffering, no matter how hard it is. That's the kind of God he is. He's the God who enters our pain. Let me ask another question. How do you respond when the storms are over? When you've gone through a really hard time in your life and you were down on your knees and you were so dependent on God in those times and you were so close to God, you felt God's nearness to you. But now... Times got easier. How do you act then? Because, you know, in storms, in stresses, in sufferings, human self-sufficiency is exposed for what it is. It's insufficient, right? So we, so we recognize our need for God. But what about the good times, right? In the good times, what happens when the storm passes, the good times are rolling by, do you still recognize Jesus? 
Are you, are you near him in both good and bad? The waves intend to break us and crush us, but God, the God of these waves, calls us his own. So learn to recognize Jesus in the storm and learn to recognize Jesus in the marketplaces. Let's read verse 53. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gesenaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so when Jesus steps on the shore, right, all these people immediately recognize him. How did they recognize him? What is it that made him so recognizable? I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't his appearance that made him so recognizable. Do you know that in all the gospel accounts, right, in every Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't have a single description of what Jesus looked like. Right, so we don't know how long his hair was, right, or how short it was, if he had a man bun or not. We don't know those details. <laughs> we don't know if he had blue eyes or green eyes or hazel or brown eyes. Right? We don't know how dark his skin tone was. Um, we don't know how, how tall he was. We don't know if he was an ectomorph or an endomorph or a mesomorph. Or, right? We have no idea of knowing these details about Jesus. But we can and must recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And that's where the gospel accounts put all the emphasis, not on his personality traits per se, not on his physical appearance per se, but on who he is and what he has done in his person and his work. And so people bring the sick to wherever Jesus is. And notice, the place where the sick are laid is in the marketplace. Right? The marketplaces. The word for marketplace is agora. And it means public space uh, where the buying and selling of goods is you know, transacted. And it's the place where legal hear hearings and disputes would be carried out. And public elections, you know, all the debates of candidates, you know, red and blue, they'd just go and, and, and debate and, and elect. And uh, in other words, the marketplace was the commercial um, and, and political capital of the city. It was the center. And when Jesus heals the sick in this space, in this center space, he's sending a powerful message to us. He's saying it's the weakest and the most vulnerable in society who are most important in God's kingdom. In any city, the marketplaces are usually where the rich and the powerful and the famous conduct their business and manage and govern and, and all of that, right? But not anymore. In the kingdom of God, this space is occupied by the least and the last, not the greatest and the first. Where might God be calling you to recognize the least and the, the last and the lost in your neighborhoods and in your city? Where is God telling you to take notice of your underserved neighbor?
that's who God cares about and is who God wants us to be concerned with and for. Now, it's remarkable how people brought sick people on their beds to wherever Jesus was, right? There's this eagerness to just get bodies to Jesus, right? It's like we want to get more bodies to the great physician, to the healer, Jesus. And I think we see a pattern here clearly for us to follow, that we should be as eager as they were to get physical bodies to Jesus as we should be to get our neighbors to Jesus, We should have this sense of urgency to share the gospel with other people in our lives. And so a question is, are we eager? Are we willing? Are we entering into those spaces to share the gospel with our neighbors? How are we doing with personal evangelism? How are we doing with day-to-day conversations? Um, I have a friend whom all of you have met now. You've all met him because he preached here. Um, He preached here, gosh, was it a month ago now or two months ago? Anthony. Remember Anthony? Anybody? Yes. Awesome. Man, he is a a guy who I, I love so much, so dearly, and he is an evangelist. I mean, this guy is out there. I mean, he spends, how does he spend his free time? He's out there. He's on the piers. He's standing up at the end of a movie, end of a movie, he asks for permission, of course, you know, but he gets up after, at the end of the film and is like, hey, everybody, I know if you have just five minutes, I'd like to just share with you the gospel about Jesus really quickly. It only take like two minutes. You've just sat through two hours of a movie. Can I just share with you really quick? And, you know, some people stay. And it's just unbelievable. He's just such a great, has a great heart to get the gospel out to more people. And he's a great example to me, and I think he's a great example to us. And I want to see more great examples like that of people who are sharing the gospel with their friends and their coworkers and their neighbors and their family members. But like, let's be a church, right? Let's be a church that takes Jesus into the marketplaces of our cities. Let's be a church, a people who brings Jesus into the corners, the broken corners of our city. So more people can see Jesus. So more people can recognize Jesus, who he is and what he has done, which is a lot. If we believe the gospel, it's a lot. Finally, in the story of of Jesus healing the sick in the marketplaces, we learn something about God. We learn that God is going to provide redemption from all that oppresses and diminishes life, human life. Jesus walking on water and calming the wind is a sign for us. It's a sign that Jesus is the second and the last Adam. He is the perfect one who has come to rescue humanity from the fall. And he's come to set everything that went wrong right. The Christian hope is that one day things won't be as messed up as they are right now. And that the world in all of its wrongs, will finally be set right. He will renew and restore this broken world and make all things good and happy again. And so let me ask you a final question this morning. Do you recognize Jesus? And do you know what he has done for you? Like, Do you know that he cares? If you're in Christ, he cares deeply for you. He sees you. He knows your struggle. He knows when you're at the oars and you're just rowing endlessly and you're frustrated. Man, he sees you in that. 
And he says, I love you, child. He understands your endless needs, and he's alone able to meet them with his grace. And so, like the disciples, like me, don't harden your heart any longer. Soften. Let God soften that heart. Recognize Jesus, and let your neighbors recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to miss Jesus in the day-to-day of our life. Um, We think that so many other things are more important, more significant. We get distracted, or we just forget. Father, help us to recognize Jesus in the midst of every aspect of our life. That we would be dependent on you in both good times and the bad. And that we would help others to see Jesus, to recognize him, to recognize you as the one who has delivered us, as the one who has rescued us, as the one who cares for us and loves us.